Our second lesson for this Lord's Day comes from the Gospel according to Luke, and to set the uh, context for the good news that begins in chapter 24 at verse 1, we are going to read from verse 50 of chapter 23 in Luke's Gospel. And again, if you will turn there and follow along as I read from God's holy and inspired word. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. And going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. And the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. And then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. And on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. And bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And herein ends the reading of God's word to us this day. May all praise and honor and glory be to him. And to him alone. Amen. If you were with us uh, last Sunday, you will remember that I made mention of the fact that the gospel writers were selective in the things that they included in their accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus for the simple reason that it would have been impossible to include everything that Jesus ever said or did. Uh, The Apostle John surmised at the end of his account that should an attempt be made to record all of the events of Jesus' life, the world would not be able to hold all of the books that it would require. And as a result, the writers were careful to select certain stories and certain 
teachings and certain actions of Jesus that would help their audience come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. So, when reading the Gospels, you will always find distinctions between them, dictated in part by the audience they were seeking to reach. As an example, Matthew includes many scriptural references from the Old Testament because his audience was primarily Jewish. Luke, on the other hand, does not cite nearly as many Old Testament scriptures because his audience is primarily Gentile. So when we come across differences or distinctions between the Gospels, they are not always immediately apparent to us, but we should not conclude that these are contradictions, but rather they provide us with an ever fuller picture. And our text for this morning is a case in point. Uh, The women uh, who go to the tomb very early in the morning are not all named in each of the Gospels. There is an agreement on the names of some, but differences with others. That is not a textual problem, but simply a difference in knowledge among the writers. They all agree that a number of female disciples of Jesus went to the tomb to finish their funeral work, but some of these women were better known than others, depending again on the target audience. The fact that the emphasis falls on different ones is not a contradiction, but simply a distinction. And when we understand that the inclusion of their names was not meant to create an exhaustive list, but rather to provide their readers with a verifiable testimony of the empty tomb, the distinctions begin to add to the story rather than detract from it. So the earliest readers of the Gospels could, for some period of time, locate these women and ask them to verify the truth of these things. Mary Magdalene could tell of her encounter with the risen Lord when she first thought he was the gardener. And Mary, the mother of James, could tell of the angelic beings that were at the tomb that morning. And it would be confirmed by Joanna and any of the other women that were there. At the same time that we have these various distinctions within the Gospels, there are certain things about which the writers are in complete and total agreement. For example, they all agree that the resurrection occurred very early on the first day of the week. That is, Jesus was crucified, dead and buried on Friday, And he lay in the tomb on the Sabbath, or Saturday, and he arose from the dead on the third day, on Sunday, the first day of the week, before the sun was up. Now the question is, is there any significance to this? Not that the writers all agree on it, but is there any significance to the fact that Jesus rose on the third day and not the fourth or the fifth, or the tenth? Is there something about Jesus' own prophecy concerning his death and then his resurrection on the third day that we should consider? Now, some would certainly point to the fact that Jesus himself declared that he would rise on the third day and that to do otherwise was not possible, but that does not answer the question of why three days later 
and not six days later. We could also point to the fact that Jesus declared during his ministry that the only sign he would provide his crooked and perverse generation was that of the prophet Jonah, who spent three days in the belly of the great fish. And like Jonah, Jesus would spend three days in the heart of the earth. But as I've considered this, I've noticed that there are many who get sidetracked when they focus on the number three, and they fail to notice that the gospel writers do not focus on the third day, but rather the emphasis in each of the gospels is this. Christ's resurrection occurred on the first day of the week, on Sunday, before the sun was even up. When you read the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, one of the things that you discover is that the writer declares, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And all the way through the week. This is the reason that the Jewish people began and ended the day at sunset instead of at sunrise, as so many of us tend to do. The reason that there was a rush to bury Jesus before the sun went down on Friday was because there was to be no work done on the Sabbath, which began at sundown on Friday. And God established this at creation when He rested on the Sabbath from all the work that He had done. Now, if you read the creation story carefully, you discover that Adam was not created until the sixth day. God creates light and separates the darkness. God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates the firmament and the seas and the land and the vegetation and the sun and the moon and the stars and the birds and the fish and the animals. And all of that is created. And then the scripture says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. And when God finishes, it says, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Except it was not the sixth day for Adam, was it? God had just breathed life into his body, made from the clay of the earth, and then he became a living soul. Adam's actual first day was God's seventh day, which God established as a day of rest. There was nothing left for Adam to do in regards to creation. It was all finished. At the end of God's creating work, Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. It was finished. And it was very good. There was no way to improve upon it. Now you may be wondering, this is the weirdest Easter sermon I've ever heard. What is he going on about? But stay with me. There is a reason why Jesus, ever since he first began to talk about his being given over into the hands of sinful men and crucified, that he would arise on the third day. This was not by some fortuitous accident that he got it right. It was by the providential design of God the Father 
And that design was being carefully crafted when Jonah spent three days in the belly of the whale instead of one or two or five or six. It was being carefully crafted when Adam was created on the sixth day instead of the fourth or the fifth day so that his first day was a day spent in quiet, restful communion with God who had made him. And what is key here is that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, long before the sun ever rose up, and he was already ready to entertain visitors who were seeking him. For the new creation was well underway. A new creation where the power and dominion of sin had been broken, where the curse of death had been obliterated, where the sorrowful shame of our separation from the Father had been healed by the sacrifice of the Son. This new creation is one where God graciously grants eternal life to all those upon whom His favor rests. This new creation is one where God has done all the work And there is nothing left for us to do. This new creation is one where our former hearts of stone are replaced with hearts of flesh. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of these to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This new creation is one where we are invited to simply be in quiet communion with the Father and enjoy the rest that He has provided. When Jesus cried out from the cross, it is finished. It was to announce to the world that the debt for sin had been fully paid, that the wrath of God on account of our sin had been poured out fully upon the sinless Lamb of God. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. And there was nothing left to do. Is it any wonder then that during his ministry Jesus said, Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He knew why he had come. He knew what his atoning work would accomplish. He knew that man could not free himself from the weightiness of our sinful burden, no matter how hard we tried. But Jesus knew that he was come to make us completely new and that on the first day of the week, long before the sun was up, there would be a new creation where all the old would pass away and we would be made new. It was no accident that before the women arrived that first day of the week that the stone was already rolled away. There was no labor involved. Like an open door, the tomb invited them to step in and recognize that the old order where sin and death reigned had been overthrown by a power beyond this world, a power unleashed from above, where the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit has the ability to raise spiritually dead men, women, and children to life eternal. And the question posed to these women by the angelic messengers, why do you look for the living among the dead, was intended to jar them awake to this new reality. That is, God is making all things new. Do you see it? 
The Apostle Paul writes of this to the Romans, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. He speaks of it to the Corinthians. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Even Peter, who was moved by the testimony of the women to the extent that he rose up and ran to the tomb to investigate for himself, wrote to his saints and declared, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Beloved, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has brought about a new creation. Are you living in it? Has the Holy Spirit taken hold of you such that your old dead ways of living are being put to death and the new life found in Christ is taking over and you are being changed from one degree of glory to another, as Paul says? Are you experiencing the sanctifying work of the Spirit such that the fruit of the Spirit are becoming more and more pronounced in you and the thirst that you once had for sin and the things of the flesh is drying up because you've been given the water that only Jesus provides which will become in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up once and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is the good news of the gospel. This is why the gospel writers all spend so much time on the final events of Jesus' life and focus so intently upon Christ's atoning work and his resurrection on the third day. It's why even though there are some details of their accounts that are distinctive, that there is no disagreement among them about this fact that it was very early on the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. They all agree about this because they all knew that His resurrection created a new day, a new creation for us that is a finished work into which we are invited to come. And take our rest. So are you resting in Christ? Have you heard his invitation to come to him, responded in faith, and then taken a seat at his feet that you might learn from him? Because you see, we are by nature restless creatures. Sin makes us so. Sin keeps us dissatisfied. The temptation that Satan set before Adam and Eve was one of dissatisfaction after first establishing doubts in their minds. He wanted them to believe that God was holding them back, keeping them from reaching their full potential. God doesn't want you to know what He knows, He said. 
If you eat of the tree of knowledge, then you will be like God, having the ability to discern between good and evil. And that's good, isn't it? But no sooner did they eat of the tree, and their restlessness began. Their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they got busy fashioning clothes to cover themselves, finding hiding places in the garden, thinking of who to blame for their sin. Sin keeps us restless, never satisfied, never at peace, never quiet, never still, running here, running there with no clue as to where there is. There is but one destination for those who are spiritually distressed. There's only one destination for those who are weary of carrying the burden of sin. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. And you can believe that because of the resurrection. If Jesus were still in the grave like Gandhi, then his words could be ignored. If he were still in the grave like Muhammad, then we would have no reason to even consider his words. If he were still in the grave like Buddha or the founder of any other religion, then please have no fear of him. You have my permission. But you see, because he is risen, he cannot be ignored. His words are true and there is no other way to find forgiveness of our sin and cleansing for our soul and a Sabbath rest that does not come just once a week but is eternally present when we come to Him. It is in Him that we find this rest. The writer of the book of Hebrews points back in time to that generation of rescued descendants of Abraham from Egypt whose restlessness led them to create a golden calf, a God that they could see because Moses had been delayed atop Mount Sinai with Almighty God. And God's wrath towards them was such that He vowed, they shall not enter my rest. And the truth of that is that there is no other means by which we can enjoy the eternal Sabbath rest that God has planned for those whom he loves apart from coming to Jesus in faith. And the Hebrews author then says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it came to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And then he says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. You see, salvation is not ours by working for it. It is ours by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone who did all the work. 
I was walking through the shopping mall several days ago, and you know as well as I do that merchandisers do not miss opportunities to couple materialism with holidays, religious or otherwise. And the sign in the window of the children's clothing shop said, Easter must-haves. As though Easter is all about dressing right in new pastel-colored spring outfits. Not that I have anything against pastels. I'm wearing a pink tie. But the only must-have for Easter is faith in Jesus, whose resurrection marks the beginning of a new creation for all who will come to him. And so I ask you again, are you resting in Christ alone by faith alone? If not, then let me invite you even now to stop doubting and by faith put your trust in Christ and His atoning work and let this first day of this week become the first day of your new creation and may you discover the eternal rest that He offers to you. Let me invite you to bow your head with me that we might pray together for a moment this morning.